Breaking Bread with Brilliant Babes. I'm your host, Tatiana Jimenez. We're recording today from a lovely home in Mendocino County off the California coast, and my guest is Allie Barnes. Hello. Hi, Allie. (laughs) Thanks so much for being on the show. Allie is an elementary and middle school teacher who focuses on history and English. For any first-time listeners out there, our purpose is to shed some light on everyday people doing brilliant things. I typically invite them into my home, cook a meal, and then we eat together and chat about their careers and how they got where they are today. Today we're enjoying sweet and sour tofu, courtesy of our guest, Allie. So thank you for that. Oh yeah, of course. (laughs) So can you start by telling us a little about what you're doing currently and your career history up until this point? Sure. So right now I'm a sixth grade ELA and social studies teacher. And I've been doing that for, this is my third year. And then the year before that I was teaching fifth grade all subjects. And I actually moved up with my kids. So they were fifth graders. And then I went with them to sixth grade Mm -hmm. because they're awesome. And just really quick, ELA means English language? English language arts. Oh, okay. That's Mm -hmm. what that stands for. Mm -hmm. Cool. So that's what I'm doing now. And... I didn't really do teaching before I graduated from school, but I started working at a sporting goods store and I was a little, you know, department lead there and I was really excited about that. And then after that, I worked at, you know, I had internships. I did event internships. I did, I worked at Ambiance in San Francisco yeah, for the shortest time ever. I worked at Bubba Gun Shrimp Company for two days (laughs) and then... (laughs) And then um, I worked at a, like a do-it-yourself workshop for a while, then at Nordstrom for a while, wow. and then the next time, you know, I worked at the Sporting Good Company for four years. Wow. So in high school, all the way through college, and then the next time I had a nice big chunk, I worked for two years as like a operations manager assistant type thing at a juice company in the city. Mm-hmm. And through doing that, I realized, like, I needed to kind of get moving. And I wanted to do something else. And I had focused on teaching in school. Or not all of school, but towards the end. And (laughs) decided that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So you you are a San Francisco native. Yeah. And you also went, you got your undergrad degree in San Francisco, right? My undergrad and my teaching credential. Mm. So when I went back to school to get my teaching credential a couple years after graduating, I went back to San Francisco State. Wow. Okay. So all of your work history was basically in San Francisco up until getting your credential. Like a huge chunk of it was in like the same zip code. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Um, this totally doesn't have to be on the episode, but did you work at Sports Basement? I did. I love Sports Basement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, so, like, I mean, it should be in the episode because okay. it's really, like, the best place. And, mm-hmm. yeah, they, I think they're a growing company. And I just think, for the most part, they're really awesome. Mm-hmm. So, I loved working there. Yeah, yeah, it's terrific. What did you study in school? And then, like, how did you decide that you wanted to mold young minds <laughs> for sure um well in school I started with cinema I started because mm-hmm. I wanted to be a director and there were a lot of reasons why I changed my major but one of them one of them was I didn't like that everything was fake like everything was movie magic mm-hmm. and so I decided if I wanted to like create magical experiences but that were real I could go into hospitality management like people's real lives yeah. and you're making 
these crazy cool special events happen for them. Mm -hmm. And then I did that for a few years and it just wasn't clicking. It wasn't what I wanted to do. So I kind of sat down and just looked at my favorite parts of all the things I did. And at the time I was a trainer at sports basement. I was onboarding people and teaching them like how teaching them our culture and how to be a basement tier, how to be someone like us. So, you know, I really liked that. And I had assistant taught in Hebrew school and I really liked that. And I was president of my sorority and I really liked teaching people about our sorority and like the whole development of women aspect. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I want to teach. Yeah. And it's just something I avoided all the time. My mom's a teacher, was a teacher for 50 oh, years. wow. Okay. And I just came to the moment where I was like, everything you like to do is about helping people learn things. That's so cool. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's, that's really interesting because we've had another teacher on the show. And she kind of like had a, not a totally similar journey, but like she tried all these other things and her mom was also a teacher and she was like, I don't want to do that. But then she had like had this realization that like she did want to do that. <laughs> so that's kind of, that's really cool. That's I the think way that happens. when you're this like child of a teacher, you get to see like the hard parts a lot, like yeah. the constantly working at home, you know, a lot of the challenges. And so you're, you think, you know, that's not a life for me. <laughs> right. Until you do. Until you do. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, I guess, when was the moment that you felt that you really broke into your industry or role? Um, it has to be when I got hired at my first job. Um, uh, we were, I say we, because my husband was going to move with me wherever we were going, mm-hmm. or boyfriend at the time. And so I had this select group of areas where I wanted to teach. And where I work now, we had vacation there previously. And so I just... You know, I emailed the principal out of the blue and said, I really am interested in your school. It looks great. I have had friends from the area, this, that, and the other thing. And she brought me up here for a tour, told me there was a job open. I applied. I was their first interview of the day. Wow. And I got a call that I was hired, you know, hours later. And I was only halfway done with my credential program. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We weren't even finished with that. Or not halfway done. Maybe a little bit more than that. But I just felt really good. Like, I come off as someone hireable, even though I am not finished becoming a teacher yet. That's really fascinating. Do you think it's because, you know, it's like a smaller town and maybe they felt really flattered that you were like, wow, I really want to teach here. And they're like, what? (laughs) When I actually went back and talked at SF State about Uh it and someone asked kind of a similar question and in a negative way, I oh, answered, no. okay. I answered, you know, some places are more desperate than others. <laughs> but I think, I think it makes a huge difference. There are people who apply everywhere mm-hmm. and that's great. And you'll probably find a job in California that way because we have a teacher shortage. Yeah. But I do think it's so much easier for schools to make the right match if you're applying to places where you have an interest in the community, mm-hmm. a passion about moving and living in that place. Yeah. And I think that kind of stuff, like, they could, this sounds very hippy-dippy, but they could probably feel those vibes, mm-hmm. too. Like, you're not just, like, passively applying. You're really excited about a place. That's, I don't know, that's cool. And that probably makes them feel excited about, like, their district, too, or their school. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, along your journey in, like, becoming a teacher or even before becoming a teacher, did you have a mentor? And then do you feel like you're in a place now to be a mentor to others? I think I'm really lucky to have had some really 
awesome mentors. You know, my first year teaching, there are wonderful things about my school, but onboarding is not a place where they shine. Mm -hmm. And you kind of like could potentially get like left in the dust of the of your first school year Mm -hmm. and I had someone who's now my close friend Laura just one day before back to school night came in and said you know has anyone taught you about how our grade book works or has anyone told you how back to school night works at our school um do you know that we're supposed to be at this place she just I don't know if it's instinct to her or what it was but she just took me under her wing and completely helped me get through I want to say my first year of teaching, but like she still, I will text her. She's not in the area anymore <laughs> and I'll still text her things and she'll help me out with Aww, them. That's awesome. And yeah, so that's pretty amazing. But I think, you know, in credentialing, they set you up with mentors. Oh, good. And I think it's one of those things where you have to remember that you don't have to accept every mentor who offers to be a mentor mm-hmm. because I had some really phenomenal ones and then some people who were put in a mentoring role for me who were not as phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, you know, trying to find and mesh with the people who really, whose ways speak to you yeah. and who you really want to emulate. And I, you know, I feel like I'm a mentor for my kids, but as far as being a mentor to someone else, I still feel really green. I still feel new and there are things I can answer and ways I can help. Um, but I'm not yet someone who I'm like, I don't feel like that bright light that Laura was to me that I'm someone's bright light yet, but maybe eventually. Sure. Well, well, before I move on, I think I also want to ask, like, since you're a teacher now and your mom has been a teacher, did you, did you say for 50 years or for 15 years? 50. I guess technically she was employed formally Mm -hmm. as a full-time teacher for 47 years. Wow. And then she retired and still goes to school almost every day. She's an art coordinator. Cool. She substitutes. Uh She just never leaves. Wow. Yeah. That's so awesome. So I'm sure she's imparted some knowledge. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like, it's, I think that she treated me in many ways like a student. Like, in my classroom, I can hear my mom's voice coming out of my mouth a lot. Like, the way I get excited about things and the things I say to encourage my kids to get excited, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I'll hear in my head, like, oh, God, you're becoming your mom. Yeah. <laughs> No, and she's a great mentor, but things have also changed a lot. Pinterest blows her mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's so much cool stuff for teachers on Pinterest. Mm -hmm. Well, and she she was a collector of things. So if she liked someone's bulletin board, Uh she would ask to have one of the projects. So we literally have a basement full of projects. And she goes, Pinterest just made all my collecting. (laughs) So unnecessary. biggest career obstacle so far slash shittiest moment it definitely has to be in teaching credentialing okay it's just you know they make it hard for a reason like it's I mean it's not hard it's there's tedious processes throughout teaching credentialing and so in my first semester teaching credentialing I was working with this awesome teacher who then had emergency surgery and was all of a sudden out of school 
And the week that he went out, there were no substitutes in Berkeley to be had. And we just came to school one day and there was no teacher. And I felt this responsibility to like try to figure out what to do Uh with the kids and moving them around. And so that was like a bad moment. But I made great relationships with those students, made great relationships with that school, like them seeing me and how I reacted in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think had I applied, I totally would have gotten a job at that school. So was that, was that for an elementary school That class? was an elementary school class. Those were third graders. Wow. And okay. it was, it was just like a lot. It was October, I think, of my, you know, first time being a teacher and oh, all of wow. a sudden all this stuff is happening. But the parents really appreciated me and the things I tried to do. And mm-hmm. that was great. And then the second semester of teaching credentialing, I worked with this woman who was, her previous student teacher quit and moved out of the state. Okay. And I totally see, I think it's connected to her experience. But this person basically said that I was terrible and that I made math not fun and all these really horrible, like not nice things. Some Mm -hmm. things she said were even like just beyond that and not even about my professional capabilities, Mm -hmm. just wanted to say mean things and didn't want to observe my teaching and all of these things. And when I initially went to the program with it, no one had a great way of responding to it. Mm -hmm. And then finally it went to the head of our program who said like, that's not appropriate. And why haven't any of the people that you've talked to before stepped in and just told you to leave? Because I was, you know, I kept being told by this person who was supposed to be my mentor, Mm -hmm. that if she didn't like the way I did things, she would make sure I couldn't get through the program. And it's like, so it's one of those things where you have to remember, like, not everyone's opinion of you is the reality. And so like, getting through that, I do think It's not, I don't want to say there was a positive because no one should get treated that poorly. But now when things aren't going well at school, I feel like, well, at least it wasn't that year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. I also want to note that Caitlin is sitting behind Allie at the moment. And during that entire story, Caitlin looked like she was going to cut someone. So, yes, that frustration is palpable (laughs) from that story. That was definitely a shitty moment. Yeah, for sure. But then they're over, and then everything's fine. Yeah, and yeah, it's like something that you've overcome, and it's like this kind of like mental hoop that you were able to dive through, Mm -hmm. kind of, and just kind of like, I don't know, survive it and still like feel confident about your abilities. Yeah. And yeah, moving forward. Um, so I guess on the opposite end of that spectrum, what was your biggest opportunity slash best moment? Um, that's hard to pick. I Mm -hmm. feel like I have gotten a really, like a lot of pretty kind compliments from parents whose children I've taught Mm -hmm. and that's the best feeling. Even if it's just a quick thing. I had a parent who just popped into my room to say, I think my kid's always going to remember having you as a teacher. And clearly meant it in a nice way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And um, no, just like little sweet things like that. But it's like also just the times with the kids, like they are, I'm teaching middle school now and my first students are now eighth graders. 
And the things that they come in and tell me about the world and their lives and the way they see the world and the way they think things should be is really inspiring and like kind of renews hope in a world that sometimes feels really difficult to be in. Like the way they can sometimes be really positive with each other and when they help younger kids and I don't know, just watching them grow is really, Mm -hmm. I hope none of them hear this. (laughs) Because they're going to be like, you love us. (laughs) (laughs) And they do, but they don't need to know. Uh, but, but also, like, which we haven't mentioned, we're going to mention it later because we got a lot of really great listener questions, but you work in a really small community, and so, like, the school that you work at, I don't know how many students you have, and you don't have to quote how many because that'll probably make it recognizable, <laughs> but, but you know, you work in a, in a like, a, a smaller school. Mm-hmm. And so you probably do see these kids from the time that they're in kindergarten all the way through the time that they leave. And so I imagine that you do develop these like bonds with these kids. Oh yeah. I don't know. Well, I haven't, I mean, I've only worked at the school for four years. Right. So I have watched my kids who I taught in fifth grade. Now they're eighth graders Uh and it, isn't that long of a time, uh-huh. but I, I take a lot of pictures and I have our class pictures up in the classroom. And so they'll come in and look at themselves and I'll look at them looking at their fifth grade self as uh-huh. this big eighth grader. Yeah. And it's crazy how much they change. And I know just looking at the relationships that other teachers have with students, that it is like really rewarding and also overwhelming mm-hmm. to watch these kids through their whole childhood mm-hmm. because the high school is just right across the street. Kids come and visit. So people stay pretty connected generally, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it's a lot. Yeah. I think that the other thing I was just going to say was when the kids either like say a nice thing mm-hmm. or just show that they've learned something Mm. like when you specifically teach a thing and then you actively see the student use that thing somehow in real life Mm -hmm. you feel like what you're doing really does matter yeah and is actually useful and it's not all the time like I don't necessarily think all of the assessments we have show whether or not the kid really gets it and is really going to use this in real life. But sometimes something just sticks in a way and you hear them have a certain conversation or you see them write something personally, like an apology letter or whatever, a note to someone. And you're like, I don't want you passing notes in class, but I taught you that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's great. Yeah. I think there's a lot of opportunities to be rewarded in teaching Mm -hmm. if you want to be rewarded in like nice words Mm -hmm. and you know watching people grow yeah on this show I also like to highlight what I call hidden talents so things that are significant to our lives that we might not add to our resumes or are necessarily work related so we actually haven't talked about this yet Um, so I'm not sure what your hidden talents are can I just list some (laughs) they're very hidden yes go for it (laughs) So I like to make videos for fun. And yeah, so I dabble in the YouTubes. Nice. But it's cool because then um, I also do the student news show at school. Oh, So I teach the kids the little that I know about making videos. I Uh teach them and they make a little news show, you know, weekly or every other week. Mm -hmm. So that's a hidden talent. I really like to cook, Mm -hmm. but I hate following recipes. I'm all about like 
getting in, seeing what you have, and then just like trying to make something come yeah. together. We discovered on this trip that um, Allie and I are both into hot for food, and she and Lauren Toyota does a recipe. Yeah, that's what I inspired love. me, yeah. I think, <laughs> to do my like little pantry surprises on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I'd watch those videos and say, like, she has so much food. She's a food she, yeah. blogger. She's <laughs> yeah. a food YouTuber. There's all of these different kinds uh-huh. of foods. And I thought I could never do it. And I was mentioning that to Pat he was, and my other friends. And they said, you kind of already do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have less options of what to cook. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's really fun. And um, someone told me that it's not something they knew how to do. And that surprised me. Like, I thought everyone went into the kitchen and just whipped something up. And she said she always follows a recipe. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it made me feel, you know, unique. hmm Yeah. That's awesome. So I guess since you watch Hot for Food, are you vegan? Or, I mean, you're not vegan because we had cheese earlier. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, my dad's vegan. Okay. Um, and so, you know, my highest praise out there is my dad liking something I've made because he's mm. a very specific eater. Cool. So when he likes something I've made, I really feel like I did it. Like yeah. I did, I succeeded in making something good. So I watch Hot for Food to get ideas for that and just like to eat a little less meat and dairy just to be a little softer on the earth, you know? Yeah. Same. <laughs> I feel the same way. So one thing we'll mention about your hidden talents is that Kaylin and I drove... 3.5 hours to get here from San Francisco. Also because we like stopped for an hour <laughs> to go to Amy's drive through which is a like vegan vegetarian drive through which was amazing. But also like we got here and there was like a really wonderful welcome sign for us. There were actually two signs. One saying brilliant babes this way. <laughs> and then one welcoming Tatiana and Caitlin. And then... I walked into my room and I saw a photo of myself. <laughs> so we think that hosting might be a hidden talent of yours. I, it's something I like to, I read a lot about it. Uh-huh. Although I've never read to put a framed picture of someone in their room. It's just a weird thing that I like to do. And Caitlin told you I had to ask her for one of she you, did, right? Yeah. <laughs> After I saw it, I was like, where is this photo from? Because I've never seen this photo. I will just say, like, if I, for some reason, had a total stranger staying here without someone, I wouldn't, like, hunt down a picture of them. I feel, Caitlin assured me that it wouldn't be creepy for you. No, it was hilarious, and I loved it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love, I love, we don't, I mean, I'm so far away from everyone I used Mm -hmm. to know, and so whenever people do make the epic journey to come to us. Mm-hmm. I like to try to show that I really care oh. and I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been lovely. Good. I'm Mendocino glad. know is so cool. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Well, I guess we'll dive into the listener question portion of the interview. So, The first one that we have is, what did you learn about yourself after moving from a big city to a small town? On day one, I cried because for a specific reason, Mm -hmm. we got to our house where we were going to live and didn't have internet set up. And so I assumed I'd use my phone and its service 
to find an internet company to call them. Mm. But here, there is no cell phone service. Yeah, I currently have no service. Yep. Just Wi-Fi. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) And so I got to the house and I was like, how do you even do that then? Like, Mm. there isn't a phone in this house. There's no internet in this house. There's no service in this house. Like, how do I find the information to... And I just felt like oh, this is the reality. Like, this is different than San Francisco. But it's gotten easier in a lot of ways. Like, I found out I can cook, which I didn't do when I lived in the Bay Area. We just got food out almost all the time. Mm -hmm. I found out that I am someone who can also like peace and quiet and alone time. Um, Because in the Bay Area, I was always with other people and surrounded by other people and spent my free time usually with other people. Yeah. I think everyone should try both if they can in their life Um, because I'm I'm way more appreciative of all of the restaurants in the Bay Area. I'm way more appreciative of convenient type stores like Target, of stoplights, (laughs) just like things you're just, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I miss a lot of city things, Mm -hmm. um, but I don't miss how packed a city is. Yeah. I've, I'm a slower moving, slower paced person now, I think. Right. I also want to mention that your husband is a volunteer firefighter here. Mm-hmm. And on this trip this morning, we were like, he got called out for a, you know, an emergency call. And then when we were driving to downtown Mendocino, we saw a car accident and we had to pull over. Which was great. And it was nice to see, like, community coming together. Like, we pulled over. A couple other cars pulled over. And he, like, got out and he went to go help them out. And it was just, like, really wonderful to see that, like, kind of community. And, like, he knew who they were because the town is so small. (laughs) Yeah. If people live here, normally you have an idea of who someone is. Mm -hmm. And especially, like, being at the school, I might not have taught and this person's child yet, but they'll recognize right. me as a teacher out. And Pat knows everyone, mm-hmm. as we've, you know, discussed. Pat just knows yeah. everybody and everyone else knows everybody. So there is yeah. a sense of, you know, supporting one another mm-hmm. in the community. And that's something I think people who live here, who are from here, like actually from here, mm-hmm. try to instill that idea in newcomers like Pat and I. They want... Mm-hmm it to continue to be a community focused place. Yeah, that's lovely. So I guess how does working in such a small community impact your teaching and school culture? Um, it's interesting. Like some of the friends I've made are people who are, you know, parents of students at the school. And I think that you know, make some things a little interesting as far as like, like opinions of the school and things parents might not share with a teacher Mm -hmm. versus a friend. And same thing, my opinions of the school and the things I would say to a parent at the school versus someone I would something like, you have to balance that idea. Like this Mm -hmm. person is my friend, but they are also so deeply involved in my professional life as a parent at the school. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's nice. It's easy. Like, because you're at the school, people have an idea of who you are already. So it's less, you know, people are less like strangers, I feel like, which is nice being new to the area. A lot of people say hello. A lot of people feel like they know you. And it's less um, scary, I think. But I don't think I would teach differently in a more crowded place as far as like, 
those interpersonal type things. I think the biggest issue in being in a small area is just we have less resources to teach with mm-hmm. and less about the people and more about like the stuff we lack. Yeah, because yeah, I think you were mentioning earlier before the recording, like if you have an idea for a lesson plan in the middle of the night, like you can't wake up and go to Target really quick to get supplies. Yeah, like, absolutely. It's mm-hmm. when I was student teaching that that's my nature. It's like mm-hmm. tomorrow we're supposed to learn this idea. What do I want to do? And then I went out literally just to the Target that I could walk to, mm-hmm. got all the stuff I needed for the lesson the next day and then did it. And here, it's just not possible. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't get... I mean, we have a store near us. It doesn't open before school starts. But I can kind of, like, make it work if I have something kind of spur of the moment that I want to do. But I found that either two things. I either have gotten way more creative with what I'm going to do. Like, I can't buy it. So what can we do? What do we have access to? Mm-hmm. Or I've just been become a better planner. So the things that are going to need additional resources, I just have to plan further ahead, which I think is always good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, living in a small town means you have to be creative or a good planner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we should also say, just uh, for the record on the show, that the nearest Target, I think, is two hours away. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> just so people could get an idea of, like... Yeah, far as um, far. And the nearest yes. Walmart is an hour and a half away, mm-hmm. so I'm not just yeah. being brand loyal. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's just nothing near yeah. here. Any big box store. Yeah. <laughs> the next listener question that we have is, what is your favorite and least favorite part of teaching? My favorite part of teaching is just getting to be around the kids and to, you know, see how they interact and talk with them and joke with them. Like, middle schoolers are really funny. Mm -hmm. They get a reputation for being the hardest to work with age group. Yeah, because they're going through puberty and stuff. Yeah, but they're really (laughs) funny and they're really interesting and, like... There's, it's a fun, it's a fun age. And so I think just, you know, being with the kids and being with other people who like to interact with kids and like get their humor too is really fun. Mm -hmm. And like some of the really fun lessons we do, like planning something fun and someone else enjoying it and learning from it is really fun. And then I think my least favorite part is dealing with like bureaucratic type stuff. Like when there's a problem, there's like multiple forms to fill out for that problem. Mm -hmm. If you need something for your classroom and you don't want to pay for it, there's like two different types of forms for that. And one type, like you have to keep track, like which money comes from this type of form, which money comes from that type of form. And that can be kind, that's just not my best skill. I'm not great with keeping that kind of thing straight and Mm -hmm. it's not fun. Like no one wants to do that stuff. I don't think so. Gotcha. That's the that's my least favorite part is just yeah. dealing with those parts of education. That makes sense. Well, how the next question we have is how has teaching pedagogy changed from when you were a student? I mean, I think I'm in a unique situation. I went to a small private school for kindergarten through eighth grade, so the grades that I'm in right now as a teacher, mm-hmm. and I don't know how 
that our schools are that different. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my school focused on projects being like the key thing when I was a kid, like mm-hmm. hands-on projects. And our school is starting to move to that model of hands-on group projects and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest difference is utilizing technology. Like our school attempted to utilize technology, but there's so much more now. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's also, I think that's a difficult question because you were not a teacher when you yeah. were a student. <laughs> exactly. like Or like 20 years ago mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so it's kind of difficult to compare. Mm-hmm. But I mean, and I think you also, did you go to a private school? Yeah. So it's difficult to compare exactly. like private versus public, I think. To yeah. You. I don't actually know mm-hmm. how teachers were required to teach in public schools yeah. from kindergarten to eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say now, like especially in math, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily notice it, mm-hmm. but I know our society is very like ruffled by, um, you know, the new state standards and the common core and people are very, like uh, parents mm-hmm. are very flustered at the new quote unquote, new way we're teaching Mm -hmm. math, Um, because it is a little different because students are expected to be proficient in learning multiple ways to solve a problem Mm -hmm. so that eventually once they've, you know, mastered multiple ways to solve a problem, they can use the way that's quickest for them. Okay. Whereas I think people in our age group and older were taught like the standard form for multiplying. Mm -hmm. You just like stack them and multiply them right like and I know a lot of people are flustered about that but as someone who was taught the old school way of multiplying and now teaches sometimes the new way Mm -hmm. or new ways or alternative ways of learning how to multiply they're really not that different and it helps you understand what's going on more I think but I think that's the only thing I could pinpoint as like that is something that is different hmm. is that you know the state standards really want people to learn multiple ways of solving yeah. a math problem okay hmm. interesting the next question we have is how do you and i don't know if you could talk about this but how do you deal with difficult parents i think i've been really lucky in that i wouldn't really describe any of the parents i work with as like quote unquote difficult parents Mm -hmm. I've had parents who didn't agree with me on my perspective on something I've had parents who aren't necessarily like supportive of whatever process we're working on at school Mm -hmm. but I feel like for every parent where there's been I think you just have to look at the positives like for every Mm -hmm. parent where there's been some kind of drawback to the relationship or to like what we're needing to deal with there is a positive like maybe the parent who isn't super supportive of exactly like the method we're using at school is a really big advocate for their student like comes to the meetings or makes the phone calls Mm -hmm. and follows up with their student I think it's rare I think the biggest like quote-unquote problem would be a parent who like isn't there for their kid, isn't there for school, isn't there for the phone calls, isn't there, like, you know, who just isn't there for any of it. And I think if you're interacting with a parent, that's already a positive step. That's true. So, yeah, I think it's mostly, like, trying to change your your perspective on the issue Mm -hmm. as a teacher. Like, Mm -hmm. 
you know, if you're having an issue with a parent, usually it's because they're like advocating for the way they think things should be. And you would do it too if it was your child and you thought things were not the way they were supposed to be. Definitely. Yeah. So changing your own perspective, trying to find a positive in the situation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Just to add to that idea of like dealing with as the person put it, difficult parents. Mm-hmm. I think everything starts with trying to build positive relationships with your students. Mm-hmm. Because if you generally, I'm, this has never gone wrong for me. If I have a really positive relationship with a student in my classroom, um, but, you know, I've had situations where I had a great relationship with a student, but for whatever reason, that student got in trouble for something. And the parent didn't necessarily agree with my perspective of the situation. And because I had a good relationship with this student, like, I feel like we were all able to communicate and try to iron out any miscommunication between the parent and I and get on the same page. You know, that was my first year of teaching. And it was the only time where anyone has ever come to me in a really, like, negative your wrong way and it was really a like the problem was solved in like 15 minutes Mm -hmm. and it was just because I had a positive relationship with the student that student has a positive relationship with their parent so then like we really should all be able to communicate pretty well Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. yeah just building focusing like if you are good with the student then chances are you'll find a way to be good with the parent yeah that totally makes sense Well, I guess um, the next question is, what is your favorite grade to teach? And I think, well, we should mention, I think the way the credentials work is like you're credentialed for like specific grade range, right? Yeah. So I have a multiple subject credential and it allows me to teach multiple subject classrooms. So if I am the teacher of all of the subjects, I'm pretty sure I can teach up through eighth grade. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I'll double check my credential, not for this, but I should know. And, but there's also like little nuances to it. So I can teach sixth through eighth grade if I'm teaching more than one subject to the same group of kids, because that's still multiple subjects. So I teach social studies and history, like with that kind of little nuance thing added in. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I think it's just middle school. Like I loved when I taught fifth grade, I had this amazing group of students, but I also love teaching them in sixth grade. It's such like a magical year, I think, Mm -hmm. because they still have some of their like little kiddishness from when they're younger, but they're like exploring this whole new middle school thing. And they have a little bit like more attitude and more interests and more personal opinions. And they're like becoming more who they're going to be. I feel Mm -hmm. like, Oh, yeah. Like, that middle school age group is just... Sometimes they're really hard, but they are also really awesome. Cool. Yeah. Okay. That's that's good to hear, because that's not what I would think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they are... Like, they have... I feel like middle school kids can have the hardest hard moments, Uh but then also, like, the best, best moments. Okay. Like, you gotta be on both ends with them. Yeah. That's cool. You sound like a great teacher. Thanks! <laughs> Any students listening, I sound like a great teacher. Um, so the next listener question we have is, do you have a lot of freedom with designing lessons, lesson plans? Um, at my school, I feel like 
I do. I feel like I do, especially in social studies. Mm-hmm. But I get a lot of support, I feel like, at school in taking what we have curriculum-wise and trying to, like, bend it and fold it and sometimes break it in order to fit what I think would make sense for our students and for our year. Uh-huh. So, for example, this year we actually got to study Harry Potter. Other years I've used it as a read-aloud. I'm obsessed. Uh-huh. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, have been obsessed and we got to study it and I think it was it was pretty good and it matched with some of the things we were doing really well but I every time I look into that book I see another way that we could teach English language arts in like a more exciting interesting way and there's a lot of Potterheads out there with me who are teachers Mm -hmm. who craft lessons and really focus on that and I'm glad that you know, working with the person who supports our ELA curriculum. And she really helped me feel like that was an okay choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think I do get a lot of flexibility and I think it makes it fun. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. Well, the next question we have is teaching history can be sometimes like teaching a certain perspective and kind of be um, political. So how do you deal with these different perspectives in the classroom? That's a hard question. I think the there are teaching communities who want to provide, and I want to use air quotes around this word, okay. who want to create a, quote, balanced approach. That means any and all information on any and all possible sides should be shown and included. And, you know, for the most part, like, I try to keep my political opinions out of the classroom, but when certain things happen in our world or society or community that have, you know, value in history for us to study, I I do want some of the kids to know certain things. Mm -hmm. So, for example, last year there was the Parkland shooting, and so... You know, it comes up in social studies, we talk about current events, and it comes up, and it was really important for me to tell the kids, I don't know if this is a political stance, but I told them, you know, this didn't used to happen all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, school shootings aren't normal. There are countries who never, ever have them. Mm -hmm. And that was really important for me, I felt for me to help the kids understand. And I didn't, you know, provide both sides of that potential perspective. So I think it's hard. I think it's important to teach like the curriculum you're instructed to teach withholding your bias. But when it comes to like, you know, the kids feeling safe or the kids feeling accepted or the kids feeling like, you know, you care about their place in the world. Like Mm -hmm. I will tell them the things about myself that I feel like will help them understand that. Like, Mm -hmm. no, I don't want you to live in a world where there are school shootings. Mm -hmm. I had a student who, I had a student who was concerned about the idea of building a wall and asked me point blank, Miss Barnes, are you a Trump supporter? Wow. Yeah. And I, you know, is one of my eighth graders who's known me forever. And I said, you know, I think if you think really hard about the things that we've done in our classroom and, you know, the way I talk to all of our students and if you think about, like, 
my relationship with people at school, you will know the answer to that question without me telling you. Mm-hmm. And he says, okay, well, I thought you weren't a Trump supporter, but I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> and so it's stuff like that. Like when kids feel like, you know, they will feel alienated if I like, mm-hmm. they want to know, like, mm-hmm. do you care about me in that way? Like, do yeah. you like want my family to be safe in that way? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna let, like, the social stigma around teachers, like, sharing their opinion keep me from making that kid feel safe at mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. And again, you sound like a great teacher. <laughs> <laughs> that was like, oh my god, if I get yeah. fired from this podcast, <laughs> can you monetize quickly and give me a job? <laughs> sure. You can help us come up with recipes and, like, food style for us. Done. <laughs> Well, the last question we'd like to ask all of our guests is, if you weren't a teacher, what other types of work would you be interested in? I think I daydream a lot about different avenues. Mm -hmm. Um, We talk about careers a lot with the kids. Um, I like the idea of being a writer. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I wish I had studied history in school and I was out, like, being a historian. But, like, in movies, they make that seem really cool. Like, national treasure. I'm Nicholas Cage <laughs> discovering secrets. Yeah. Um, no, I don't know. I like so many jobs sound really cool to me. Like right. being the events person on a cruise ship who like has the microphone and is getting everyone stoked. I I mean, yeah, I just think there are now that I'm an adult and I'm exposed to all of the different types of things people actually get paid to do. So much sounds interesting. Like, I feel like when you're a kid and you're looking at the adult world, you're like, I don't want to be a firefighter, or a lawyer, or a doctor, or a teacher. And those are all the jobs. <laughs> Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Um, and now it's like, I don't know. There are just so many different jobs. There's so many, so many things out there. I just think a lot of them sound really cool. Definitely. I know that we were talking about when we got here, like, organizing things like that's a job yeah like hello Marie Kondo yeah exactly yeah (laughs) (laughs) Kaylin is agreeing in the background (laughs) um yeah no I just think and that's you know what I really want kids to know not to like always go back to the kids but I'm like what do you like to do like Mm -hmm. Do you want to be a professional podcaster like there are people who do that Mm -hmm. like I went to school with people who are now, you know, TV hosts and inventors. There's all these different things you can do if you just, like, leave yourself open to opportunities. Mm -hmm. Like, get good enough grades that you have all those opportunities. And you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so many cool jobs. Yes. But right now, with all the wine, I feel like cruise ship director is like... (laughs) Wait, can I want to say something better than that? What do I want to be? That that sounds really fun. (laughs) I think that's like being a teacher, though. Like, in the end, like... Yeah. You know. Just kind of, like, corralling people around, making sure that they're maybe learning something, maybe having a good time. (laughs) I think the key to anything is just, like, try to... Like, if you're going to become a teacher, you just have to try to, like, keep that amount of attention for the time that you kids have you, Mm -hmm. and then, like, just try to get them from one thing to another smoothly right and then like if you can keep that like 
cruise ship director about you. Like, yeah. I'm going to take you through your activities today. And it's going to be totally. great. Yeah. Because I feel like, you know, you know, people get seasick on cruises. And that cruise ship director is still like, I'm going to show you how this is going to be great. That's so great. Oh, my God. Um, Well, Allie, a question I like to ask all of my guests at the end of the episode is, what are you looking forward to this week? On Monday, I go back to school. Okay. And I'm looking forward to two things. I'm really just looking forward to, like, seeing the kids. And they're going to be on, like, springtime fever mode. Like, Mm. I feel like a lot of them, the day we get back from winter break, they're like, when is school over? Can we start our countdown? Can we do this? Wow. And so it's like the ball's rolling towards summer, and we start studying ancient India, Ooh. and we do a fun little activity around that that went really well last year. So I'm excited to hopefully get the same wonderful results this year. Cool. That's what I'm looking forward to. Awesome. Well, do you have any anything you would like to plug or any resources you would like to share? For people who want to be teachers, someone who I was really inspired by is she goes by Too Cool for Middle School on Instagram and YouTube, and I always really liked her. I do have my own YouTube channel, which is just like, it's very sporadic. Uh It's very sporadic, but it's my hobby. And that is Allie's Best on YouTube. And now that we've all had enough wine, I'll show you a video. Yay! Well, Allie, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. It was really fun and not scary. Yeah, not scary at all. And actually, I forgot to mention at the top of the show that we are actually in a tiny house in your backyard. Yes. Right now. Absolutely. And this is the first time the tiny house has been used for anything. Oh, my God. So she lives in like a three bedroom, beautiful house. And we're like in this tiny house in the backyard, which has great acoustics. I can tell. Oh, really? But yeah. So I'm going to take a picture of it after. Oh, please. (laughs) But this is great. So to learn more about Allie and other topics we've covered on the episode, head over to our website, brilliantbabespodcast.com, where you can also listen to previous episodes, check out our event calendar and get the recipes for the dishes we make for each episode. Today's recipe was sweet and sour tofu. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and stay tuned for episodes every other Tuesday. Take care, everyone.